Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I'm Jen. And I'm Ted. And we're the daughter and father hosts of Asian American History 101. A podcast about Asian American history from generally known historical happenings to the deeper cuts that we don't hear about in school. Join us as we explore a multitude of topics from food to immigration, forgotten history, and even obscure comic book characters. You can find our podcast at AsianAmericanHistory101.Libsyn.com, AsianAmericanHistory101.Libsyn.com. Or just go to your chosen podcast directory. We hope you give us a listen. Hello, welcome to Vulgar History, a feminist women's history comedy podcast. My name is Ann Foster, and this is part two of what is going to be a three-part exploration of the life of Catalina de Arauso, the lieutenant nun. Just like in part one, I'm joined here by Alison Epstein, author of A Tip for the Hangman and also of The Dirtbags Through the Ages newsletter. And we we give a little recap in this recording. So I'm going to dive right in. And I cannot emphasize enough that I think this is maybe the best episode of vulgar history to date. So... Please enjoy. Okay, so part one ended with, I'm trying to remember where part one ended with. So, right, she's in the lieutenant of the army and then she was so awful. Even the like colonial Spanish army was like too much. You've gone too far. <laughs> Please stop. Please stop. Um, but she stayed in the army, but just she was getting half pay. And I'm sure that made her even more angry um, and killing even worse. And then she said this dramatic cliffhanger line, but chance toyed with me, turning my every scrap of luck into disaster. What was this bad luck? Well, was it the consequences of her own actions? You might ask repeatedly. Um, and this is where, okay. When I was writing down the notes, slash summarizing the book, like I was just like going, I read the book and then I like read it again. And then I went through just to kind of like summarize from my own notes, like this happened, then this happened. And eventually it's just like this, a sequence of things happen that are so similar. You're like, is this a real story? But then you're like, well, if this was not a real story, you wouldn't put in so many repetitive things happening over and over again. So that means maybe it is a real story because it's the same thing keeps happening. So Catalina, I guess this is like post all of this, the her time in the army. Well, she wasn't just like fighting the army all the time. She would spend her time with her chums going to the gambling house, etc. So she was in a gambling house with another lieutenant when a misunderstanding came up and she was insulted. So as one does, she stabbed the person who insulted her in the chest and, yep. a, <laughs> and a judge came in accusing her of murder. Like a judge walked into the gambling den? Be like, excuse Guilty. me, I'm a judge Guilty. I, I see you currently stabbing a man. Um, but then her brother, still there, came in like, run for your life. So Catalina slashed the face of the judge. What? Oh, sorry. The judge was holding her. So I guess the judge was like, you're a murderer and grabbed her. And then she slashed the face of the judge. 
until he let her go. He, like, uh, she just kept slashing. She's like, one more. Oh my goodness. This and then, wild. yeah. And then she ran to hide out in a nearby church, like trademark the Catalina maneuver. <laughs> um, and while she was there, she's told that both the judge and the guy she had stabbed were both now dead. So well. <laughs> the governor was like, what the fuck? Who are you? Why you keep stabbing my judges? And he offered a reward to whoever caught her alive. But she's in the church and the church is like, well, we have to protect her for like church-based reasons are gross. But then petitions began to circulate supporting her. From who? <laughs> the ass- who was supporting her? All the other assholes. They're like, she is our God. We um, would prefer to be able to stab a judge also, please. Yeah. So eventually, so she just like in the church, just being like, everything's cool. I don't know. I guess eventually like the heat on her just kind of like wore off a bit and she like was accepting visitors in the church. One of her visitors was a guy who needed a second for a duel. He was going to fight that night. And he's like, this looks like the right person to ask for that. I have to assume he's Basque. Because- <laughs> gotta be, gotta be. <laughs> because um, that just seems to be how this sort of thing goes. Anyway, so she's like, I'm on it. <laughs> a side note. Catalina de Arraso is the worst second you could possibly have for any duel because like the berserker of it all. So she headed out, even though she's like still in church sanctuary, still like wanted for the murder of two people. She's just like, oh, I'll just go, like, go out, be a second in the duel, then go back, like see the church again, I guess. I don't know. Everything is just really lawless in this way that again, I keep compared to the wild west, but that's just what I know from like popular culture. But this is when I picture it like that, I'm like, okay, this makes, I can like fit it into that paradigm. Anyway, quote, the darkness was so thick. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And noting this, I suggested we should tie our handkerchiefs around our arms so that whatever might happen in the next couple of hours, we would not mistake one another. Very smart. We love a good costume based scheme. Exactly. Yeah. And also just thinking about how dark it is in the world before electric lights, right? Like, yeah. To be like, okay, I'm outside at 10, 10 p.m. for a fight in like 1625 in Lima, like it's gonna be dark. So, okay, sorry, just laying some more important groundwork. She does not, she did not learn and was not told the names of who the duel was between, like who the other two men were. Yes. So, so the, the opponents, the two men arrived for the duel, but it was so dark she couldn't see their faces. And duel, 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 sword fighting. Her friend was hit. And so Catalina, as the second, jumped up to fight out, to help out. So she was fighting the second. So it's like the two duelists were fighting each other. And then she was fighting the second of the other duelist. She stabbed the opponent in the chest. That opponent, she quickly realized, was her own brother. No. <laughs> it's like- Oh my, I, (laughs) the Shakespearean comedy tragedy of it all is just so much. No, exactly. This is, this is like 12th night taking a Mercutio is stabbed turn. Yes. It's like, what if 12th night was a tragedy? What if 12th night, but murder it's wow. Yeah. How did, oh my goodness. Also poor her. Like, geez. Yeah. You know what? To her credit, she was sad about this. You know, I wasn't sure she was, but I'm glad she was. Um, I think I didn't write this in my notes, but I believe she like um, attended the funeral, but like lurking backwards in the balcony because she was like wanted for, Whoops, for, for this, for the murder of this person. But I regret it. Yeah. So she felt bad. Um, so anyway, so he died. The other two died as well. The duelists. Uh, Catalina was obviously now in even more trouble. 
like she was just like oh, i'm just gonna go be in sanctuary again in the church and the like friars of the church tried to protect her why why <laughs> so she stayed she continued staying in the same church for eight months while she was prosecuted on a charge of rebellion not murder not triple murder but... no rebellion i don't know it's because her brother was the like secretary of i don't know but then a powerful man and again there's so many names in this book i just stopped writing them down i don't think it's a man who appeared before and that's why i stopped writing them down i'm just like this is just who are all these people stop giving me names so a powerful man i have to assume from the basque country offered her protection and she accepted taking a horse so he gave her a horse and weapons and she just like slipped out in darkest night leaving that city <laughs> whoops i've killed too many people in this city now it's time to go kill people in another city <laughs> or maybe she won't allison maybe she's changed her ways uh Tell me more. <laughs> Surprise me. You know what? <laughs> I don't think I, well, I will, but not, <laughs> not because of that way. Not because of any personal growth. She met two other soldiers along the way and just like, hey, friends. She, as much as there's like, I frolicked with women or whatever, she like really got along well with men. Like, I think she liked being in the army. She's like going to gambling houses. Like, she was just like, I like the company of men. This is, I like, um, but not in a romantic way. So she met two soldiers along the way. And I, I think it's also just like, hey, you're an asshole. I'm an asshole. Here we all are. Let's like, go be assholes and kill people. Hooray. Yeah, let's let's go gambling and stab each other. Like everyone, <laughs> everyone, when everyone has your same personality, like, of course you get along with everyone. Yeah, no, so. She's living her whole life like it's a bachelor party. And like, yeah. you know, at least she's consistent. Okay, but then we get to this sort of like, okay. So she met two other soldiers along the way. She had her horse and weapons and she's like, off I go. But this is like, as much as she was like in a city and she's been going city to city, there's still a lot of like not, city in South America at this time, a lot of places where there's not a place to go. So they were going up into the mountains. So if you picture like Peru, a mountainous region. And so like, that's, they're like, I don't know. Did they have a map? I'm not sure. I'm knowing her, probably not. So they went up into the mountains, just like trying to get to the next city. And then they wound up like starving to the point they had to kill one of the horses to eat. But even that was little more than skin and bones. And then they were like, oh my God, there's two men ahead. And they're like, oh, maybe those guys will help us. And they went up, but then they approached them. They realized those two men were dead. No. They had frozen to death in the mountains. Eventually the other two men died, leaving only Catalina. And I Which think it just happened to her a lot. This is the third or fourth time everyone has died but her. Yeah. And that's where it's kind of like, is this a true story? And I'm like, well, we know that she didn't die. So that's true. Very hard uh, to kill. Yeah. Or maybe that blessing, you know, the father, you know, when her father was like, all my sons will be soldiers and all my daughters will be nuns. She became a soldier too. So maybe now she's also under the power of that blessing. Didn't you say that the statue that the father made the vow to had a mysterious smile? Yes. I bet you that statue was just like, hey, this is what you said. But I it's like a slightly a, different. The monkey's um, boss. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Because yeah, so Miguel died, but Catalina, like seemingly immortal. Yes. Cannot be killed. Cannot give a single fuck for anything. The grievous injuries she has and that she, she doesn't die of- at least five or six times. And like, there's no sepsis. Like, like, anyway, she's got a hearty constitution. And I have to say, assume smallpox and other things are like, obviously there also. Yeah. Dys- dysentery. She's just like, <laughs> I'm such an asshole. Like, meth- like even disease. Even God can't kill me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
So anyway, so the other two people died. So she took their money. Like, you know what? I would too. Um, here's a great quote. You can imagine my wretched status, dead, tired, barefoot, my feet in shreds. I propped myself against a tree and wept. And for what I think was the first time in my life, recited the rosary. Then I rested a little, got back on my feet and began to walk again. So that was her lowest point. She was just like, "Ugh, this sucks. Anyway, (laughs) onward we go. Yeah. But you know what? Imagine this person being a nun for her whole life. Like, you know, someone who with this much like lust for adventure to just be like, what if you'd never leave this building and only ever pray? Like, honestly, good for her for getting out because she would have made those other nuns lives absolutely miserable. Absolutely. Poor prioress would be like, I cannot do this anymore. No, she's just constitutionally like not suited for that life. So she kept going. um, And then two people found her collapsed on the ground and rescued her, bringing her to their mistress's ranch via their horses. Okay. We were talking. That's not, it wasn't in the podcast, but like between episodes, Allison and I. So like, could you just say again, Allison, like Catalina sucks. Like, she sucks real bad. Like I was, I was telling, and to be clear, I do not like Catalina as a person. I would not want to know her in real life. She is an asshole, but she has the kind of unhinged dirt bag tits out energy that I respect in historical people who suck. Like she, she sucks so hard and so all the way that I just want to know what happens next to her. And I love her energy. I don't respect her decisions. And she can tell a good story. She sure can. Like she has me edge of my seat. Like what terrible thing are you going to do next? How are you going to make a terrible decision today? Let's find out. So we already know that she's just like, like a colonial nightmare, genocidal killing the indigenous people to such an extent that even the other genocidal people are like, calm down. It's bad. This podcast does not condone genocide. She sucks. Right. So I'm just reminding you of her racism. So they took her to her mistress's ranch via their horses. Quote, that lady was a half breed, the daughter of a Spaniard and an Indian woman, a widow and a good woman. So this woman took good care of Catalina, gave her a new outfit, been a while yeah well and her feet were shredded up from like walking the mountains barefoot um everyone else froze to death and she's like i don't need shoes that's yeah so this woman offered her a job managing the ranch (laughs) as you do (laughs) so part of me when i was reading this i was just like why do people keep giving her jobs and i'm like well because everyone was like itinerant like everyone was moving around all the time slash being killed and dying so like there was just always jobs right it's not just like, well, Kaylee's amazing. Everyone gives her jobs. It's like, no, there's like a constant need for people to do jobs. Cause like everyone. My was... last ranch manager froze to death in the winter. So <laughs> <do this. laughs> exactly. Okay. So she's like, great. I'll be your ranch manager. Got it. I can learn any job. Oh, side note. And I didn't mention this, but this came up in one of the other podcasts I listened to where it's like, so she was raised in a convent from ages four to 15, went off to be a page boy, cabin boy. When did she learn sword fighting? Or well, she, she was slashing people's faces from a pretty early age. She so. was, I guess. And, and some of those things where it's like, I had kept that job for three years. Like someone would have, she's so good at it. I feel but. like it probably was one of the skills you learn while you're on a ship. Like you're not doing much. You're cruising through the Atlantic. You're bored. It's true. The other guys could, could teach her. Yeah. 
anyways so she's good at it and but just every they're like can you run my shop and she's like great sure i'm like how do you know how to run a shop like anyway she's just like she's a yes and type person yes anyway so this job didn't last long one week later the woman was like i would like for you to marry my daughter and catalina wrote these are her words not mine bear in mind that the um ranch owning woman was a mestiza she was you know a child of a indigenous person and a Spanish person, the daughter, a girl as black and ugly as the devil himself, quite the opposite to my taste, which is always run to pretty faces. Yikes. Yeah. So she's just like, like, you know, she's not going to marry anyone ever because you can't tie her down, but also she is incredibly racist. So she pretended to accept the offer because she wanted to keep the job, but she just kept being like, Ooh, what if we get married next week? Ooh, I'm busy that day. What about next week? Eventually she ran out of excuses. So she just stole a mule and ran away. Meanwhile, while she'd been staying there at the same place, Catalina and uh, struck up a friendship with the bishops who, Oh God, I have a typo in here. So what is it? The bishops vice general. I don't know. She made a friendship with a powerful religious-based person who wanted to marry Catalina to his niece. Catalina says the girl seemed good enough. This is where I'm just like, lesbian? Or just like, doesn't give a shit about anyone romantically. Lesbian or just racist? Sometimes you're not sure. Anyway, Catalina says, so she for sure didn't want to marry the ranch owner's daughter, whose like complexion was dark. The niece of the like important guy, presumably a lighter complexion person, and Catalina is like, mm, okay. The niece sent Catalina a bunch of gifts, like fancy new velvet clothes, which were like real expensive. Um, that's a quite a gift, and she accepted it. It's sort of like a dowry down payment, I think, sort of thing. But Catalina also ghosted her when she left because she doesn't give a shit about anybody. So this is like, is she just what's the word? Not misogyny, misanthropy. Like, it just hates people. Yeah. That? I mean, I, I don't like to armchair, like, diagnose people, but she has, like, she, she's not a person who understands that other people also have feelings. Yeah, so. she's stuck in that sort of, like, whatever, you know, stage three developmental psychological child. Yeah. She never got past that thing, yeah. Like, can you actually have romantic relationships with someone if you're like, I am fully using every human being on Earth to steal their mules and their clothes? I don't think so. Right, and so this is where I'm just like, the contortions that it takes to be like, lesbian icon, where it's like, first of all, not icon. This is not aspirational, my friends. Secondly, like, she treats women badly. She treats men badly. She's just kind of like, I'm Catalina. Fuck everybody. You're a bad person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So oh, wait until we get to the talk about the movies versions of her life. Because it's like, okay, the Patreons would have heard, but we did on Vulgar Peace Theater, a movie version of The Affair of the Necklace with Jean de Lamotte, where the movie tried really hard to make her be a sympathetic heroine doing stuff for the right reasons instead of just like, a dirtbag grifter and it did not work. So just like imagine if you were Allison trying to turn this story into something palatable. That oh boy. That would be tough, but I, I know that people out there have probably done it. Well imagine taking this story and trying to make it be like, you know why she cross dressed for love. Um <sighs> love of what? <laughs> murder. Love, love of murder. This is there was this, a point when I was reading this where I was just like 
what defines a serial killer? <laughs> I mean, isn't there like a number? Yeah. Okay. So she left, right? She got a mule and she wound up in Potosi, a city in Bolivia, which is still a city. I'm just in this story. I'm just like really delighted when she lands in a city that's like still a city, because first of all, that means I can start following that city's tag on Instagram and see how beautiful <laughs> it is and imagine traveling there. But also because then I can learn what country it's in. That helps. Yeah, Catalina uses a lot of place names. And now I'm just like, maybe she made some of them up. Um, because some of these, I'm just like, I can't find anything about this, the existence of the city ever. Like, maybe it was fake. Anyway, so she landed a job. Because again, again, you know, I like I just had this epiphany in real time with you. Because I was like, why do people keep giving her jobs? And it's like, the economy was <laughs> such that people needed people all the time. And they didn't care who you were. Oh, my God, Allison. So. Okay. She, got, she got a job working as a steward for the alderman and her How job. Okay. That job like seems like it needs qualifications is all I'm saying. Okay. But did you think that that job would involve her being put in charge of 12,000 llamas? What? <laughs> what? How do you, what does being in charge of a llama consist of? What are the management duties? Okay, so her job was sorry, 12,000 llamas and 80 indigenous humans. Okay. Um, and her job was to escort the llamas, presumably with the help of the people, from town to town. So she's like a llama herder. I am, I'm imagining this. You know, I think it's in Philadelphia. It might be in Memphis. There's like a street where like, Every day at the same time, they take this like troop of ducks and they walk them down the street. And there's a little tiny duck parade. That's yeah. what I'm imagining she's doing, but with llamas. How can you? I can't even conceive of 12,000 llamas. How do you move them to another place? That's entirely too many. <laughs> how do you keep them together? There's not roads. There's not like how many. What, what kind of dogs do you have to herd a llama? And like, how many of them do you need? What is this operation? Right. So is she just on a horse? And llamas famously assholes. Yeah, the animal that's probably kingdom. why they gave her 12,000 of them. There's like, here are your, your emotional support llamas. They remind me of you. They're jerks. Well, you know what? I can see the llamas would spit in her face. She'd like slash their face back and they'd be like, mutual respect. Yeah. You respect her. <laughs> you, are, you are a llama in human form. Yeah. So I'm not sure. So it's like 12,000 llamas and 80 indigenous people. So I don't know if the people were like helping with the llama herding or if it was kind of like the people were being taken from place to place, like for like slavery reasons. Yeah. Anyway, guess what? She's great at this job because she is good at every job. <laughs> oh boy. This is the, like, I am always in the camp of believe everything that's ridiculous in a person's memoir, but I feel like the part that she might be lying most about is that she was good at all of these jobs. I'm sure she had this job and then 12,000 llamas ran away to Argentina. And How could you? How could you have 12,000 llamas together in the first place? I don't know. I need to look up facts about llamas. I didn't know they heard it that much. <laughs> if any of your listeners know about like the movement patterns of llamas. I you know who would? Peru, the people in Peru. <laughs> I hope they know because this is blowing my mind. Yeah. Okay. So llama herding job. She's like, great. So she did that. But I think her job seems to be like, take these llamas from place A to place B. She did that. They're like, great job done. Goodbye. And then she got caught up in an uprising. Um, caught up in. I'm sure she was just an innocent bystander. Oh, no, an uprising. Oh, heavens. <laughs> and so the uprising was obviously indigenous people fighting against the Spanish 
colonial forces. Um, she fought on the Spanish side, obviously. When I say caught up, I would, I guess I mean she, I believe that was her term, um, but I would say she joined the Spanish yep. forces. She fought so nobly against the rebels that she was given the position of attache to the sergeant major. All these job titles are like assistant to the district manager, where it's just like, what do these jobs mean? So anyway, she stayed in that job for two years. Like time is passing by. I feel like she must be like 30 years old by now. I was going to say, I'm wondering how old she is at this point. Yeah, I know that when she goes back, well, spoiler, she goes back to Spain at one point and she's like around 30 at that point. So she's in her 20s now. What's funny, though, is that that portrait and it's uh, I said it to you a while ago, but also like the listeners, uh, obviously it's on Instagram. You can see it there. Um, Vulgar History Pod on Instagram, not Vulgar History on Instagram. That is somebody's very sexual account. (laughs) Vulgar History Pod. Um, shout out to Vulgar History. <laughs> anyway, so the portrait, the picture of her, like she just like it looks like a person who's lived a life. Yeah. I just read a book where a character was described as being like, it looked like he washed his face with coffee grounds. Oh my gosh. And that's kind of the effect that she has as well. She just kind of is just like, what now? And you, so have you watched the the pirate show Our Flag Means Death? Like, no, and I did want to hear your take on this because isn't there a non-binary character in that who's like raised by yes, men? Yes, it's Jim and they're awesome. But the reason I bring it up now is because there's one of the characters who's like being played by a 45, 50-year-old weathered looking man. And at one point he's like, I'm 16 years old. That's how hard my life has been. And that's what this reminds me of. No, it's very much that. So like the portrait of her, I forget somebody, she was like 38 years old in this portrait and she looks conservatively 52. A lot has happened. Just the injuries alone. That yeah. she has. I mean, she has been shot three times in a day before. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Atashi is a sergeant major. And then here's the thing. She just like the book, like once you get into the rhythm of it, every chapter, it's like this adventure in this city. The next chapter is like this adventure in this city. And it's like she liked moving around. She wasn't just like, if only I could find a place to call home for myself. No, like she you can't live that way. If you're murdering somebody every six months, you have to stay on the road. Exactly. And she wanted to keep murdering people. So um, technically, oh, no. Well, I, I guess technically, yeah, she is still wanted for all the previous murders, just FYI. So then she got she signed up with another army campaign. Like, again, like the people just come into these towns, just picturing like coming into this town full of just like assholes in big hats with swords who are like eager to stab each other. Just be like, hey, who wants to like join a campaign? I was like, huzzah, like. So anyway, she just joined another campaign. It wasn't like a formal process. Um, let's see. Along the way, she participated in brutal battles against the local indigenous people and stole their valuables. After that, she went bankrupt. So there's numerous times where she was like given money. She steals money. You know, every time she like ran away from somebody, she's like, and she stole 500 pesos or whatever. But she constantly, she's living. It's like, it's not paycheck to paycheck. It's like. <laughs> she's living grift to grift basically yeah no she's like constantly going bankrupt because she spends all her money on i have to assume gambling or i don't know buying hats like i don't know i i was gonna say she definitely has a passion for clothes so like my suspicion is half gambling half big hats yeah yeah so then she went to the city of la plata which i think is argentina there is a place called la plata in argentina um again her memoir just gives city names i google those city names and i'm just like that one seems close to where she was before. Okay, so she lived in the house of the widow Doña Catalina. Was that That's confusing her. for her? That could, lead, that could be in like a movie, a funny moment. Where someone's like, Catalina. And she's like, yes. I mean, no. That's not me. That's not my name. Although she has at this point been Francisco for like 
20 years or whatever. Um, anyway, so Dona Catalina de Chavez, the highest born, most important lady. And she was just like renting out a room for her, I guess. And then a whole thing happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that should have been the subtitle of her memoir, honestly. Yeah. So, so maybe an indigenous man or maybe Catalina in disguise as an indigenous man slashed another woman's face. I think you're thinking what I'm thinking, which is like, that's Catalina's signature move. The I'm face like, who else? Whomst else has been slashing faces for the last two hours? Yeah. So Catalina wound up sentenced to 10 years without pay because they said that it was her. And she's like, where was it me? It's like, okay. okay but- my, even if it wasn't her this time, it was you the previous 24 times. So. Yeah. But also her sentence is just 10 years without pay, which although... It's not like she wasn't sentenced to like jail or like, but she's bankrupt. She needs money. She needs her pay. Right. Anyway, I don't know. She appealed one day and then was free to go. I have to assume a Basque person was involved or, oh no, the widow, the widow, I think like vouched for her because I think it was like the woman whose face was slashed was like the widow's enemy or something, which makes it sound even more like she got Catalina to do that for her. Anyway, so the widow, I think, sent her some help. And then Catalina says, quote, it just goes to show that persistence and hard work can perform miracles. And it happens regularly, especially in the Indies. I'm sorry, that, that, that awful cackle of my laugh is going to startle your listeners, but it just goes to show that persistence and hard work is an incredible lesson to take from this story. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> On what planet? Has your primary virtues been persistence and hard work? (laughs) What work have you done except for slashing and llama herding? This is like an Arthur the TV show (laughs) saying. Actually, I feel like, could this be the (laughs) t-shirt? I'll get one for myself. It'd be like that with like a a hat, like a fancy like... (laughs) persistence and hard work yeah um you might be the biggest dirtbag i've ever encountered in my life yeah no see again and this is why like i had to have you on this episode this is incredible show-stopping spectacular yeah no it's well well also she's like it just goes to show that persistence and hard work can perform miracles but like you were sitting in jail she didn't do persistent like catalina didn't like if the widow is the one who like went around bribing people or whatever, you just also deep respect to that widow for being like, I've had this grudge for 20 years and suddenly there's this mysterious face slasher in my house and I have a plan. Yeah. That's great maneuvering on her part. You know what? Yeah. I, I feel I, I appreciate her. Her name again was Doña Catalina de Chavez. She gets so. a seven for scheminess. Yeah, definitely. I give my notes, little headings when I get to a new And so this one is just called Another Town, Another Drama. So she pieced out of there and met up with, I'm going to say, I don't know if it's the same llama guy again or another man who gave her 10,000 llamas to escort. I have to feel like it's the same guy and the last time she lost 2,000 llamas. (laughs) But you know how she gets these jobs? Like, did she just walk down the street and she's just like a guy with like 10,000 llamas? (laughs) I couldn't help but notice. (laughs) thousands of llamas i mean to her credit this time she does have relevant prior experience she has heard yeah. multiple thousands of llamas before so yeah 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 so she did okay and then because she lives for drama honestly like she cannot 
she can't not this is where i'm just like the common denominator in this is you am i the drama yes yes you are okay so she went to play cards at some guy's house and he insulted her which is like i always think of back to the future part two and three are you familiar with those films i can't assume tangentially okay so there's a thing where i've talked about this on the podcast 100 percent, i'm sure because I think about this a lot, but like Marty McFly in the second Back to the Future movie, they established this thing where like, if anyone calls him a chicken, he will do anything. He's like, how dare you call me a chicken? He's like, I will do the most dangerous road race. I will do anything. He's just like, you can't call. It's like um, a real psychological trigger for him. So Catalina, anyone insulting her, she just like Pavlovian. It's just like draws her dagger. But for someone who like clearly loves herself a lot, insulting her is the biggest, like the worst thing you can do to her because there's nothing she loves more than herself. So she drew her dagger, he drew his dagger, and the other players were like, calm down, calm down. They're like, okay. But then later that night, the two met outside with swords. Quote, we parried, but before long, I ran him through and down he went. (laughs) Down he went, casually. How did that happen? I don't know. Um, (laughs) Okay, here's the other thing she might be spending her money on, which is swords, because, or just sword sharpening. Because to be in this many sword fights, like your sword is going to get damaged. Yeah, I don't know very much about sword maintenance, but like swords weren't cheap. I know a lot about sword maintenance because I have only been watching the reality competition show Forged in Fire for the last year. That when you ask, like, did I watch the pirate show? It's like, no, Allison, all I watch is reruns of Forged in Fire. Well, it it comes up, it comes in handy when I ask you questions about sword maintenance. And that's the thing. So I don't know. anyone out there who's not familiar with the show. So it's three bladesmiths and they have to, it's like Project Runway. They're like, you have to make swords out of a broken down car. You have to make swords, but you can't use electricity, like whatever. So then they test the swords by doing these things that real swords would never have to face. Like in the last episode, there was like, there was some sort of giant, it was like a skull or something. It was like a giant bone, like an actual bone of an animal. And then he took the sword and then he had a second bone and he was like hammering the sword into the bone with the other bone just to see if it could sustain like what, how much damage it would sustain. And like any show, like the tests have gotten wilder as the show goes on because the people competing have gotten more skilled. Right. Yeah. So, and then another one of the challenges, they put, they put the sword straight up in sort of like a giant clock. And then they kind of like pull it to one direction to see how far it'll go. And then does it go back straight after you do that? And then you pull it to the other side. So from this, I've learned that swords can take, damage and sometimes it's irreparable like the more you use a sword the more you hit a sword against another thing like the so i think she's gonna need to be like yeah and in her case the other thing she's hitting it against is someone else's face repeatedly yes true or their torso and that's where i also learned from fortune fire sometimes they get a ballistics torso or sometimes they use like an actual like pig carcass and so i've learned that like hitting a blade against bone like bone is one of the hardest things you can hit against so if she's killing people going to need replacement swords you know what this i'm really glad to be able to bring one percent of my current knowledge about bladesmithing onto this podcast <laughs> it's literally the only thing i watched that and murder she wrote let's see so i ran him through down he went the police tried to arrest her but she fought them off and retreated to the cathedral <laughs> in a move that i now call the catalina special where she's just like this is the like that's so Catalina. Um, 
I feel like it's so part of her thing. Like when she's like, they just need to have like a guard outside of every church all the time to stop her before she gets inside. Like she's just, I mean, she's going to flash her face and run into a church. That is, that is her one, two punch. That's, that's what she does. Yeah. If you picture it sort of like a wanted poster, it would be like that picture of her looking like Lord Farquaad. And it would just be like Catalina wanted for face slashing. Like she runs into churches after like dear (laughs) churches, don't let her in. Please stop. (laughs) She's wanted for murder in every city in New Spain. South America. She has crossed the top. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then anyway, she went to the church and then, you know, slipped away under darkest night, which is part three of her, the Catalina special, really. Yeah. So another city, another fucking card game turns into a sword fight in the streets. She kills another man, but nobody saw it. So she went on to her friend's house and didn't tell anyone. <laughs> but she wrote it in her memoirs. Like you could have just gotten away with it, but she wants to make oh, sure no, that- no. oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Someone found out about it. Like okay. the, the body was there, like the next morning. But I love that she just like got in a fight, killed a man. She's like, no one saw it. Okay, I'll just go. Oh. To my Like, let's go hang out with my friend Miguel. Okay. Um, that's like in every true crime thing where you're like, you know, like his wife went missing, but, like, but then he went to the daughter's birthday party and he seemed like he was acting normal. <laughs> anyway, so the sheriff found her. I like to picture it's just one sheriff. I know it's not, but because I took so many names out and it's sort of like a Jean Valjean Javert thing where there's just, <laughs> that would be the movie. There's just one sheriff who's just like, I will get her if it's the last thing I do. <laughs> She's like evil Jean Valjean in that way. Right, because yeah. he went town to town doing good, kind things. She went town to town slashing faces and murdering. People. Oh, right, which brings me to the littlest hobo, which I need to explain to you. Yes, you do, because that was quite a non sequitur for me. Okay, so well, this is something I did not realize. So, growing up in Canada, you get a lot of American television, and so I don't always know what is an American show that we're watching and what was a Canadian show that just we're watching. So I asked on Twitter a bit ago when I realized when I made the littlest connection, I was like, wait, do people know this? And the consensus on Twitter was like, what are you talking about? We do not. But the Canadians out there are singing the theme song in their head. I promise. So the littlest hobo is a Canadian show in the 90s. It was about a dog, the littlest hobo, who would every episode he would go to a new town and there'd be people there having trouble. And somehow the dog would like bring the people together and solve the problem. And then he would move on to the next town. And so every episode was just this dog. It wasn't a talking dog. The dog didn't have a companion. It was just a dog would show up. And it usually like a child would befriend the dog. And then like somehow just the dog being there would like help rectify like a, you know, a schism in a family or maybe, you know, like evil developers are going to buy the like small town. But somehow the dog being there, like the dog would just come to town, help out and then move along. Mm-hmm. And the opening credits are like the dog hopping in the back of a pickup truck and just like, sitting there. <laughs> Anyway, she is very much the opposite of that. She comes into yeah. a town, she makes it worse, and she leaves. Right. So that's why I was reading the story, and I was just like, this is just like the littlest hobo, but murder. <laughs> yes. Anyway, the littlest hobo is a pretty iconic show in Canada. I think they should reboot it, get on that. I would be happy to be the executive producer of such a show. Or you could do littlest hobo, but oldie timey, and you could have the littlest hobo go around South America in the 1600s, helping out, I don't know. Cleaning up after Catalina as she comes in. Yeah, so I think um, it's like, uh, the book is so much like you're gonna read it, you've already said, 
But every chapter, it's like, then I went to this town, this happened, I stabbed this person, then I ran away. The next chapter is like, then I went to this town, stabbed this person. Then. So I'm just like, this is me just being like on Google Maps. I'm like, where is that? What country is that? Where are you? Because it's just like city, 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 city. Like she's always on the move, but that's like the littlest hobo. That's how she's, that's how she's happiest. That's what life calls her for. Girl of the open road. Maybe tomorrow I'll have to settle down. <laughs> um, yeah, if I had skills, I would do a little extraordinarily niche TikTok. That would be the Little Sobo theme song, but just pictures of Catalina. That would appeal to Canadian fans of this podcast who are on TikTok, which is, I don't even know, maybe two people. And so they would really enjoy it. Though. They would enjoy it. Everyone else would just be like, what is happening? So any, oh my God. Okay, so. Right. So she stabbed somebody, went to her friend's house afterwards because she's like, there's no witnesses. Great. Um, but guess what? The sheriff found her the next morning and took her to jail where she was tortured, but did not confess. And this is where I want to mention she's put in jail a lot. I don't know if there's other times where she's tortured, but the whole like my breasts aren't big because of Italian poultice, like physiologically. I have to assume her shirt would have been removed for some of this torture. Like, that's like the basic thing you would do to whip somebody to like whatever. Right. I would. Yeah. You've been in prison this many times. Yeah. Like you're not keeping it a secret if it's a secret. Anyway, she's tortured. She did not confess. This is where I'm just thinking like physiologically, there's lots of different body shapes. So she's just someone who's just like small chested, maybe a bit rotund. They're just like, okay, that's just like a man with like the fleshy torso. Anyway. Of course, she didn't give in to torture because she, I think, doesn't feel emotion or maybe pain. So she was indicted. I can't believe this for, for a murder, but no one saw it when there's so many murders. And they got her. This is the murder that she got indicted for. <laughs> well, there were so many where everyone saw it. Anyway, not so- the one where she murdered the judge in a tavern full of people. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about the judge. <laughs> the judge ran in like, you just murdered him. And she's just like, and you too. And you too. <laughs> Okay, so she's indicted, and in a trial, witnesses she'd never seen before testified against her. Or killed their family at some point. Yeah, or were they like, anyway? Again, like you said, it's like, yeah, like, well, A, she did do this one. (laughs) Yeah, like, if she's describing this in her memoir as like, oh, these people I've never seen came and accused me falsely of a murder that you did do. Yeah, she's just like, well, that's this trial. She was sentenced to death um, and she appealed, but she lost the appeal. Quote, now I was getting worried. (laughs) I mean, valid response. Yeah. (laughs) One of the only times in this book that she mentions feeling a human emotion, but never fear. So (laughs) the Basque Underground Railroad strikes again. So a priest arrived for her confession because in this this situation, and she will be um, (laughs) sentenced to death again later, you get a last confession before you are killed. So they're like, uh, he came for the confession and she was like, "Mm, pass, (laughs) which is like, honestly, like as like someone raised Catholic, I'm like, baller move. (laughs) Like what do you have to confess? Not a thing. (laughs) Nope. Never done anything wrong in my life. Oh my God. Um, we haven't gotten there. We're ways off, but like when she meets the Pope, just like, wait for that. So, oh. 
so they're like, okay. So they took her to like the hanging area. I don't know. But then at the last minute, a messenger arrives saying a powerful Basque person. Again, sorry, I checked out so many names. There was a lot of names. Was here to call for a stay of execution. And so she was spared death and then freed 24 days later because of the Basque. Basque looks out for Basque. In a, and I presume in a bribery type way. Because you had to be like, hey, I vouch for her, this like obvious murderer. Can you not kill her? Like, oh, cool. Yeah. No, yeah, I think totally, totally. I think it would have been like, I'll give you 10,000 llamas. And they're like, okay, okay. That's probably so- where all the llamas keep disappearing to. Every time we <laughs> take off a death row, we lose 2,000 llamas. Okay. So then she moves to like, God knows, somewhere. Um, she's in a new town. And she happened. <laughs> this is how she phrases it. I just happened upon some people fighting. <laughs> A woman named Doña Maria Davalos stuck her head out of a window. So people were fighting like in and around a house. So she stuck her head out of a window and she said to Catalina, take me with you, Senor Capitan. My husband is trying to kill me. And then the woman jumped out of the window and didn't <gasps> die. It was like not a high window, I guess. She said, like, help me. <laughs> You're my only hope. Catalina was like, what is happening? Um, and then some friars nearby who like always have her back as well, felt her and Maria had been caught by her husband, allegedly with another man. And she was, she'd been locked up in the room by her husband who like literally was probably going to kill her um, and like an honor killing type thing. And Catalina was like, I'll help you. And so they headed off together. This could also be the start of an interesting movie. She and Maria, they're chased. Um, and then the people chasing them, caught up by them. There's a river and Catalina, it's all like in the book. She's all like, and I got to a river and I'm like, what do we do? It's a river. She's like, well, we'll just go through the river. And then they did. And okay. They kept heading towards. So where they were going, was to La Plata, which is a place where there was a convent where Maria's mother was. And if she could get Maria there, then Maria would be safe. So that's their goal. This is like strangely altruistic of her. Yeah, I'm like, there's, there's nothing in this for her. No, she's just like- messing with those guys, which like, I guess is a motivation, but- I don't know. This is like, why are you being nice to her? It's This is, as much as the story is kind of like repetitive, this is like, well, this is different. So- um, Anyway, so chasing, chasing. It's like a car chase, but horses. So the Maria's husband and like other people were gaining on them. So like they went overnight. Then the next morning, the husband fired at them from a rifle, the bullet whizzing by so close to our ears, we could hear it sing. But they, they kept going. They ran away and they finally reached the convent where Maria's mother lived. Maria was handed over, but then the husband showed up. What if I told you there was a sword fight? I would believe you yeah so sword fight they fought in the church um but nobody okay, got now it. we can fight in churches we've spent all of this time saying you can't fight in the church and she's just like well, i don't care i don't know so nobody died in the sword fight this is like a real palette cleanser of a story yeah um catalina was injured and so she's taken into the monastery to convalesce for five months eventually maria and her husband each took vows like maria became a nun and the husband became like a friar slash monk um and Catalina was not, I don't know. I, it says like Catalina was cleared. So I guess she was charged, I guess for abducting Maria maybe, but she's cleared because she's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one story that I have to tell you where no one dies. No one dies. Hooray. But then, so. <laughs> so then she needed a job because, you know, she's has no money, et cetera. Um, and a kind woman set her up as kind of a detective slash bounty hunter. Incredible. So Amazing. Job, so born for this. The job she's given is, quote, 
to investigate and punish certain crimes that had been committed in the area. They set me up with a court clerk and a constable and we set off together. Oh my gosh, she gets she gets her own constable. Oh my gosh. So oh, the nerve it takes to be like, you're my constable, me who has murdered 38 people. Definitely get to start hanging out with the cops now. Well, and here's the thing. So she's like detective Kalina de Arroso. You're like, okay, what's she going to be like? It's like literally like judge jury executioner. Like, oh, she'll be all those things. And so she tracked on a guy in charges that he had robbed two indigenous people and murdered them in a most cowardly fashion and then buried them under his house, which is quite a bold thing for her to be investigating this. Right. Um, but guess what? So she's just like, mm, Sherlock, Catalina. She went with her constable. Like She put her CSI giant hat. They looked around. They found the bodies. She found the evidence. And in fact, um, I think this is a quote. It has to be. In fact, it was she who tracked down every last detail of the case. And when she was done, she called this guy in front of her and sentenced him to death. So she's just like, I'm just going to single handedly solve this case. Boom, boom. You're guilty. Despite how many times she's been sentenced to death and escaped, she's just like, mm, but that guy, you, you're gotcha. right. She doesn't think other people have lives or yeah. are people, but she doesn't. That was just it. She's just hired for this one bounty hunter job, I guess. Okay. Um, because then she moved along Allah, the littlest hobo, to La Paz, Bolivia, where she rested for a little while, uneventfully, quote, until one day, <laughs> without a care in the world, <laughs> that her words, not mine. She stopped by the sheriff's house to chat with one of his servants. Why? Why are you going to hang out with this sheriff? Friend of all the people to not go chat with. Okay, quote, and I tell you, the devil must have been stirring the coals because it ended with a fellow calling me a liar and slapping me across the face with his cap. What did you think was going to happen? Without <sighs> a care in the world. So obviously she retaliated via dagger, stabbed the guy, and she was carted off to get another jail. But this time, just wait. So she was sentenced to death as forever and was given final confession in jail and then was taken to church for a final mass and communion from a priest. But when she was given the communion host, do you know what a communion host is? Yeah. It's like the little bread thing, right? So like in the mass, the priest like does the thing. I was going to say a magic spell. No, a prayer. <laughs> where, he's, where it like turns the, the bread and the wine into like literally the body and blood of Christ. So it's like after that has happened, every piece of it is important and valuable. So like, even like if a bit of wine spills in the tablecloth, it has to be handled in like a certain way. Cause it's like, holy, right. So she was given the communion host. She spat it out in her hand and yelled, I call in the church. I call in the church. What? So, now, so now the consecrated host was now in her hand. She's holding a handful of Jesus. Yeah. What is she doing? Okay. Quote complete bedlam ensued. The brothers were scandalized. They kept shouting heretic, heretic. So the priests circled around her with a great number of townspeople who lit candles. They unfurled a canopy over her head and carried her in procession to the sacristy, which is like the behind the scenes area of the church. Everyone got down on their knees and a priest pried the wafer from her hand. They scraped at her hand, washing it again and again and Gross. dried it off. <laughs> so you're thinking to yourself, I assume, what the fuck is this? Yes. <laughs> Catalina tells a story in like an Ocean's Eleven style, which is how I'm telling it as well. So like this happens, it's like, so you know how they're like, well, here's what was really happening. She reveals at this point in the memoir that this scheme was suggested to her by the guy who had taken her confession in jail, who was a pal of hers, I assume, from the Basque country. 
Cause he told her like, if you do this, like they can't kill you because you, you have little bits of Jesus still on your hand. Wouldn't she in her digestive system? I, yeah. Like, the, hmm. okay. So she was then kept inside the church for a month under guard. Why? Until her like skin cells replicated. She didn't wash her hands for a month. I don't. Hmm. Uh, but then a helpful local priest gave her a mule and a little cash and she slipped out of town. Under darkest night. What the fuck was that, Allison? I don't know. I mean, that that is truly the most incomprehensible escape I've ever heard. Yeah. And she really tells the story just kind of like this happened. This happened. I spit it out of my hand and then they couldn't kill me, I guess. Like, is that the loophole? I mean, I've read a lot of weird loopholes about how you get out of a death sentence, but never one that involved spitting a consecrated host out on your own hand. That one's new to me. Yeah. No, this one, she really doesn't explain it very well. Well, I mean, she explains it to the extent that the Spanish people reading it, they'd be like, oh, shit. The classic (laughs) spit out the host maneuver. Never thought about that. I hate to leave you on such a cliffhanger, but this is a really long story and I need to give us all a week to sort of just like decompress take in all of the iconic things that we all just heard in this episode next week will be part three the conclusion of the story of catalina de arauso including her highly anticipated scoring on the fredigan memorial scandaliciousness scale and i do have to just confirm with everyone listening right now don't worry if you go to vulgarhistory.store there is merch with the iconic phrase it just goes to show that persistence and hard work can perform miracles so if you want to just really take Catalina's Arthur the TV show style motto with you, uh, take a look there at vulgarhistory.store. And remember, when you go there, you can use code TITSOUT for free U.S. shipping or TITSOUT10 for 10% off in the not the U.S. And you can also find where we're discussing these episodes in the Instagram stories, Instagram Vulgar History Pod. We're also on Twitter at Vulgar History. And you can always send me a message. Uh, My DMs are open on Twitter and on Instagram. But also, if you go to vulgarhistory.com, there's a little thing there where you can send me messages. And yeah, patreon.com and fosterwriter is where you can pledge money to help support the podcast. And for as little as a dollar a month, you get um, early access to all the episodes. So if you're just like, I can't wait a week to see what part three of Catalina's story is going to include um that should be posted there um in a few days actually so if you pledge some money at patreon.com slash ann foster writer you can get early access to that and also other podcasts and things as well but honestly i'm just like i said at the beginning and i do feel like this is maybe my favorite episode i've ever done the story of catalina de arauso is non-stop and you'll never believe what happens in part three that's next week until then Keep your mask on and your tits out. Talk to you then. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.